All right, that was awesome. Hey, welcome. Once you've met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat, but only when you've met someone. Whoa, that was so good. Um, hey, I just want to say welcome. Good morning. Welcome to The Exchange. I am so glad you guys are here. My name is Josiah. Uh, I would love to meet you after if this is your first time or maybe you're kind of still new or newer to the church, uh, but welcome. We're so glad you're here. Hey, do me a favor. Turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Uh, that's where we'll be at today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you one so you can follow along with us. But Titus 3. All right. So uh, as you guys are turning to Titus 3, let me share a couple brief things with you guys. Um, today is something we do every two months. It's called Connect Sunday. If you are new or newer to the church, maybe you've been coming for a few weeks, maybe a month or two, and you're like, I don't know anyone. I want to kind of know, get to know some people or what do they believe or I want to learn more about what's happening. Um, we're going to have like a little get together. We have some food for you guys. And uh, right outside these doors, if you go left, we're going to gather up there and just kind of try to meet you guys and spend some time right after service. So if you're new or newer, don't be shy. Go back there. We'll get some food, talk. We'll have some more leaders there just to meet you. Um, also, want to point this out. This Friday, we're doing something called Team Night. Team Night is basically a way for, for anyone who serves or wants to serve. Uh, we kind of get together a few times a year just to kind of celebrate, to worship, to break off into groups, to talk about vision, to plan some things. So if you're interested in serving or you currently serve, know that this Friday at 6.30 p.m., we're meeting at Carmela Coffee in Pompano Beach, uh, and we're just going to have that place rented out and have some coffee and hang out and talk, and it'll be a lot of fun. So if you want to serve or you currently serve, this is for you. Uh, so that is this Friday. Friday, and we'll mention that again and put that in social media just so you can kind of know what's happening. All right, here's what's going on today. I am so excited for today. Today we begin, and I don't want to call it a series, today we begin um, just a collection of, of talks on something called spiritual formation. Spiritual formation. Um, and I want to briefly clarify something. This We're calling this spiritual formation because I really do believe that so often in the church, it can be like we study the word as spiritual information. Sometimes we approach the Bible like, I just want to get knowledge. I want information. When that is not the point of studying the Bible, just to increase in knowledge. We want the word of God to shape us, to form us, to make us more like Jesus. We don't want to just grow in knowledge and lack in lifestyle and lack in habit. We're praying that the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and shapes us and forms us. Again, because I think sometimes it's easy for me or you to wake up in the morning and read the Bible like it's the newspaper. Like, what's the word for today? Versus, God, I ask that your Word shape me and form me. It's living. It's powerful. Do its work in my life. Accomplish its purposes in my life. And inviting that and welcoming that. So um, we're calling this spiritual formation in case you're like, what does that even mean? This is so weird. Let me just briefly define it, and we'll unpack this a little bit. Um, so spiritual formation, here's my definition. Spiritual formation is being formed by the Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. All right, hear that again. Don't miss this. Spiritual formation is being formed by the Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus <clears throat> through timeless practices and disciplines. And we want to talk through those practices, those disciplines that will be kind of coming up in the next few weeks. We're going to look more big picture today. I think a better definition of this, because there's a lot written about spiritual formation, spiritual rhythms, spiritual discipline, uh, the practicing the ways of Jesus, means of grace, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot written and said about this. Here's what Dallas Willard says. He's like the expert in this. Uh, he says this, spiritual formation in the tradition of Jesus Christ is the process of transformation of the inmost dimension of the human being, the heart, which is the same as the spirit or will. It is being formed, really transformed, in such a way that his natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. If you're still confused, that's why we're doing this series. I'm going to unpack this a lot more. Um, this is where the Holy Spirit takes the word of God, and it the grace of God produces such life change. We go, I now want to walk this out, carry this out, follow the ways of Jesus, the practices of Jesus, silence, solitude, scripture, prayer, meditation. Like, I want to get away and actually do what Jesus did and live how he lived. And I'm so excited for this because I know we're going to talk through this, but guys, all of us are shaped by something. 
All of us are shaped by someone or something or some teaching or some person or some, some life event. All of us are shaped by something. And sometimes in our life, it's kind of passive. It's what's happened to us. We wake up, turn on the news, turn on the radio. All of those things shape us. You guys get that. Everything forms us. The people, the interactions we have, what you watch, what you look at on your phone, your phone might shape you and me more than anything else. And we're constantly being shaped by people and things. And spiritual formation is saying, we're not going to be passive in this anymore, but we're going to be active. We're going to be proactive, not being shaped by just some things that we just experience in life, but we're going to take the spiritual disciplines and we're going to apply them and live them out to let God shape us, to let God form us so we can grow and mature in our faith and love for Jesus. Does this make sense? So this is something we want to take on for growth and maturity and depth, and I'm so looking forward to this. Um, See, I hope that this is something we fully embrace. I really do believe if we can embrace the spiritual disciplines— spiritual rhythms, the practices of the ways of Jesus. We will see change maybe like we haven't seen in our, in our spiritual life. That maybe when you first got saved, there's a lot of change very fast, and now it's kind of stayed there. But as we take on the practices and ways of Jesus, how God will grow us and deepen us and develop us. So I do want to unpack this, and, and here's why this is so important. I mean, for centuries, followers of Jesus have had these disciplines or these practices or these rhythms of prayer, meditation, the word, community, giving. We've had these things that kind of shape and define who we are. And I think here's what's happened. I want to confess something from my own life. Um, when, I, when I really believed that Jesus grabbed hold of my heart, I heard the gospel and it was so powerful. It was so freeing. I was saved by grace, by grace through faith. is a substitution of Jesus Christ. He took my place, my sin, my debt, and it was so freeing. And I feel like what happened for me in my faith is I was almost like stuck there of like, I'm saved by grace through faith. And it was amazing, absolutely amazing. But then it's like, then it, I just, all I wanted to do was kind of talk about that and live in that rather than let that grace form me and teach me and grow me as Titus 2 talks about, the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live righteously, godly, and sober in this present age. Like, grace teaches us. So here's why I'm saying this, because all of us, I think, maybe don't, we don't realize or not, it's almost like if we hear the word works, we go, ah, let's, let me just be really clear. Spiritual disciplines do not save us. We're not saved by our spiritual disciplines. By no means, we're saved by grace, by the grace of God, by the grace of Jesus. But spiritual disciplines, this idea of spiritual formation, it's just a way for us to grow in this grace. It's a way for us to experience intimacy with Jesus. It's a way for us just to, I think, position ourselves in such a way where we can hear from the Lord and just say, God, do a fresh new work of, your, of just your Holy Spirit in the church's life. Like, we don't want to just be passive, just saying, okay, we're just going to wait till the day Jesus comes. Like, we want to be proactive in this. We want to walk hand, we want to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So to, what does it look like to do that? How do we do that? And this is where I think spiritual disciplines come in. It's like the how. So we, we know we're saved by grace, but this is the how. So let me be really clear again. Um, spiritual disciplines are not the end goal. My hope for you, just so you know, is not like we do this series and you go, I have the spiritual disciplines, therefore I'm good. No. Spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. The end being just enjoying Jesus. The end being positioning ourselves in a way where God's spirit can do some new work in our lives. And so again, spiritual disciplines are not the end. They're the means to an end. And this is going to be so important for us. Guys, my hope my hope in this, in this, as we walk through this, and it's, I feel like every week, you're going you're gonna to need next week to understand this week. We're going to need a kind of progression of talks in this. But my hope is that as we look at this, as we apply this, as we live this out, that God would set you free from just certain bondages, addictions, just patterns, habits, lifestyle decisions that are holding you back. That maybe it's just keeping us lazy in our faith. That God would set us free from that. That God would just do something new as we apply his word just kind of, this is what the series is, is saying, Jesus, everything you've ever told us, we just want to, we want to, we want to obey the things you've taught us. We want to follow the teachings of Jesus. That is our hope. I, I'm commanded, we're commanded to go make disciples and to teach them all the things Jesus commanded. That's what we want to do with this. We want to apply it and live it out and pray that God would do a fresh new work. Amen? You guys follow me on this. This is going to be so important. I don't want to just give you the how-tos today. We do want to see the big picture We want to see, my hope today is that you will see, when it comes to spiritual growth and change and formation, as we use this terminology, when it comes to those things, in many ways we're passive and in many ways we're active. And so here's kind of the thought today, the title today. Um, We're going to look at the Holy Spirit's work, passive and active, all right? 
So the title today is The Holy Spirit's Work, Passive and Active. When it comes to spiritual formation, when it comes to growth, change, we're going to see how there's a level of this where we're just passive in this. God does something to us. And then also how we're active, how we walk with the Holy Spirit in the process. All right? So let's read Titus chapter 2. I know it's a long intro, but it's just so necessary. Titus chapter 2. You're like, we haven't started yet? No. Titus 2, verse 11. Let's read Titus 2, verse 11. We're going to back up a little bit. Titus 2, verse 11. Listen to this again. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Isn't that good news? Isn't that such good? It's appeared to all men. That's something by faith I, I honestly have to take. It's appeared to all men. Teaching us. What does it teach us? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That's you. That's me. Uh, Titus 3, verse 3. Keep reading. Titus 3, verse 3. For we ourselves, listen, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Everyone say amen. Verse 8, this is a faithful saying now. In light of that, this is a faithful saying. In light of all of that. And these things, I want you to affirm constantly. All right, affirm this constantly. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. We want to see today, as we talk about growth, maturity, formation, the idea is the Holy Spirit regenerates us, and there's this, this work that God does, and how we're passive in that, but we're also very active in walking this out with Him, with the Holy Spirit. So I want to unpack this, I want to pray over this, and just ask God to speak and move, and I really do pray that this will define um, your life, our life, our church's life for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That as we walk through these for the next few months, as we walk through these practices of Jesus, that it would just forever change who we are. So let's do that. Let's pray. Father, I just, I just do ask amongst um, maybe a busy schedule or week or clouded mind or thought life, God, slow our pace down. <laughs> Let us hear from you. Let us enjoy you. Let us not be distracted, myself included. Jesus, we want to position our hearts in a way where we can hear from you. Where Jesus, we could just enjoy you. That, God, we can take what it is you've shown us, you've taught us, that we'd be careful to maintain good works. That, God, we'd be people by your grace, that it would produce godliness, righteousness. That we're saved by your grace. We're saved not by our works, but by your grace. And we celebrate that and we thank that. We ask that 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 grace would teach us and transform us and make us more into the image of your Son. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, this week I read something that was so powerful, so profound, it kind of took the words out of my mouth. And I, instead of me trying to be clever and creative, I just thought I'd read, read this uh, to you. There's a book called um, The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People by John Orberg. Uh, I really recommend this. It's been so colorful. So I, I feel like I'm doing this selfishly. Like we're going through this because like, I need this. Um, I need to grow in the practices and the ways of Jesus. I need to get back to my first love. I need to start doing those things I once did, right? And so here's what he kind of says about just kind of how we feel in life, how we fail. So listen to this. John Oprick says this. He says, I'm disappointed with myself. I'm disappointed not so much with particular things I have done, as with a- but as with aspects of who I have become. Some of the disappointment is trivial. I wouldn't have minded getting a more muscular physique. I can't do basic home repairs. I speak to someone with whom I want to be charming, and my words come out awkward and pedestrian. I am disappointed in my ordinary, ordinariness, but some of the disappointment in myself runs deeper. When I look in on my children as they sleep at night, I think of the kind of father I want to be. I, I want to create moments of magic. I want them to remember laughing until the tears flow. I want to read to them and, and make the books come alive so they love to read. I, I want to, to have slow, sweet talks with them as they're getting ready to close their eyes. I want to sing them awake in the morning. 
I want to chase fireflies with them, teach them to play tennis, have food fights, and, and hold them and pray for them in a way that makes them feel cherished. But I look in on them as they sleep at night, and I remember how the day really went. I remember how they were trapped in a fight over checkers, and I walked out of the room because I didn't want to spend the energy needing to teach them how to resolve conflicts. I remember how, how my daughter spilled cherry punch at dinner, and I yelled at her about being careful as if she'd revealed some deep character flaw. I yell at her even though I spill things all the time. That's me. And no one yells at me. I yelled at her to tell the truth simply because I'm big and she's little and I can't get away with it. And I can't get away with it. And then I saw that look of of hurt and confusion in her eyes and I knew there was a tiny wound on her heart that I had put there and I wish I would have taken those 60 seconds back. I remember how at night I didn't have slow, sweet talks but merely rushed the children to bed so I could have more time to myself. I'm disappointed. And it's, it's not just my life as a father. I am disappointed also for my life as a husband, friend, neighbor, and human being in general. I'm disappointed that I still love God so little and sin so much. I always had the idea as a child that adults were pretty much the people they wanted to be. Yet the truth is I am embarrassingly sinful. I am capable of dismaying amounts of jealousy if someone succeeds more visibly than I do. I am disappointed at my capacity to be small and petty. I cannot pray very long without my mind drifting to paper. The truth is even to write these words is a little misleading because it makes me sound more sensitive to my fullness than I really am. Sometimes, although I'm aware of how far I fall short, it doesn't even bother me very much. And I am disappointed at my lack of disappointment. Where does this disappointment come from? The older and wiser answer is that the feeling of disappointment is not the problem, but a reflection of a deeper problem, my failure to be the person God had in mind when he created me. Wow. Does anyone else feel this way? I'm not just like, amen. Like I read this, I had to put the book down. I'm like, he just read my life. He just like read how I feel about everything. Why does there seem to be a gap of this vision of who I want to be, but who I really am? How do I bridge that gap? The vision of who I am currently, but who Christ has made me to be. How do we actually grow? How do we not just be content? It's like, I'm saved by, I'm going to heaven. I believe in Jesus. Awesome. But how do we grow mature in Christ? See, the hope of this is to say, let's grow. Let's take on some spiritual disciplines in our life. Let's take on some certain practices and habits that maybe we've kind of gotten away from. Let's get back to these. For the sake of just trying to position ourselves in a way where we say, God, just do an internal change. Let it lead to growth. The disciplines do not save us. The disciplines are not the end goal, but they're a means to an end. And this is what we want to look at. He says, my hope was to be my true self. Uh, A guy whose name is crazy, Soren Kierkegaard, he says this, now with God's help, I shall become myself. I just think that's so true. With God's help, I shall be, who God really made you and I to be. With God's help, I shall become that. Paul says in Philippians 3, I've not arrived. I've not made it yet. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Paul, Paul, who could have said, hey, I've arrived. I've like planted a million churches. I've done a lot. Like he's like, I haven't arrived. I'm not where I should be. See, we're trying to get from this place from our actual self versus desired self. Actual self versus desired self. And there is a gap between who I am and who Christ has made me to be. And I really do believe, again, let's, I want my, my prayer for our church is we get back to some spiritual rhythms in our lifestyle, in our daily routine that just produce growth. John Mark Comer, he's a pastor who speaks a lot about this and does a great job. He said this, spiritual formation is the process over a lifetime by which we are transformed to become more like Jesus and in doing so, more like true self. That at the end, we'll become more like the truth of the way God designed us to be. See, my, I, I don't think anyone wants to get to their deathbed. Look back at their life and be like, oh, I'm so disappointed with how I handle my time, my family, my kids, my finances, my energy, what I lived for, what I worked for. I think all of us today, like, it's funny that all of us, and, and here, here we are in October, right? This is like a New Year's resolution is kind of a message where people kind of wait, like, oh, I'll start this in January. It's like, no, no. Like, what if we could look back in January 1st and be like, actually, I'm really happy with the, I'm on target. Like, I'm really happy with the practices and habits. I don't want to look at January 1st and be like, oh, it's all over again, and that will end in February. Like, we're trying to create some disciplines and habits today that we just can continue to build off of tomorrow and the next and the next. Uh, I love how G.K. Chesterton, who was just so witty with his words, he, he put it this way. He said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. This is so true. It's like when you, when you look at Christianity, it's like, oh, there's just, you know, there's something they're missing. It's like, no, it's just, it's just found difficult and left untried. 
And so the idea for us is like we want to embrace these disciplines and get back to this. So let's just talk about this. Here's what I want to look at today. Specifically, just big picture for spiritual formation. Three things we're going to focus on and see. Uh, number one is this. Formation. We're going to see formation without the Spirit. How people are formed and who they are without the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? We're going to see formation by the Spirit. How we're passive in that. How the Spirit transforms us, makes us alive. Not something we have done. But the love of God was poured out on us, Romans 5 says. We're passive in this work. But we're also going to see formation with the Spirit. How we're going to see this activity, how to walk in the Spirit. Does this make sense? Are you guys, are you guys tracking with me? I want to make sure this is, okay. Um, Augustine put it this way. When you look at these three points, it's like this is overwhelming. He said it this way. Without God, we cannot. Without us, he will not. And this is kind of what we're trying to communicate. Without God, we, we can't. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. In John 15, I'm like, wow, like nothing? Not even like, I can do something. Like, apart from me, you can do nothing. But without us, he will not. He, he uses us in this process. And it's by his spirit, it's by his grace. So let's talk about that. All right, number one is this, uh, formation without the spirit. Formation without the spirit. Titus chapter three, verse three. Can we read that again? Titus chapter three, verse three. What does he say? He says, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Stop there. <laughs> I love verse four because like everyone's like, but, but, like, is there good news? Yeah, there is, but formation without the spirit. See, I, I've said this, but I want to be really clear. Everyone, every single day is being formed into something or someone. You have a mentor. You have a person you like to listen to on the radio, someone you read. You listen to a podcast. Like, we're all being formed by things just every day. Radio station, everything. Our phone shapes us. For, everything forms us and shapes us. And here's the idea. There's either unintentional spiritual formation or there's intentional spiritual formation. And this is something where I don't want to be unintentional about this anymore. We want to be intentional about this. Um, one author wrote, wrote about this and said, spiritual formation is not like a Christian thing, it's a human thing. Everyone's being formed into something, in some capacity. So let's just talk about this really quick. Here's a few things that shape people apart from the Spirit. All right, we're going to throw this up here really quick. Uh, unintentional spiritual formation versus intentional spiritual formation. Look at this. In unintentional. Here's what we're formed by. We're formed by the stories we believe, our habits, our relationships, our environment. Do you guys see that? I think this is so true. Here's what we're formed by. We're formed by the stories we believe, certain narratives about life, our habits, our relationships, our environment. We're just going to walk through this briefly. I really do want you to see that everyone is formed by the stories they believe. Whether those stories are thrown out there and it's like in a political realm or a certain ethical realm. Think about just the, the classic narrative going around about just what is, what is the world's sex ethic? It's that you know, we're not really created to be monogamous and just do whatever pleases you. And there, there's so many different kind of narratives thrown out about just success. Hey, the more money you have, the happier you'll, you'll be. The more you have, the more satisfied you'll be. When we know these are just false narratives. These are narratives the, the world kind of like, I think even from a young age, I think it's like, if I want to be happy, I have to have, to have stuff. If I'm content, I have to have all these. And it's, we, there's certain just narratives that we just pick up from movies, from life, from stories from TV. I mean, we just pick up all these different ways of how we, and it shapes us and forms us. I think one of the hardest things sometimes when you're talking to someone, just trying to introduce Jesus to them, it's almost like trying to rewire or like undo some of the things, some of the narratives they believe about God, about life, about morality, about meaning, about destiny. Like you're trying to like rewire some of that, ask different questions, get them to think differently. All of us, all of us here, but especially those apart from the Spirit, are shaped by just different stories they believe. Next, we see this. Um, we're shaped by our habits, our habits. So it's interesting. The more we do something, the more we kind of like it, the more you kind of fall in love with it. Notice when I say we're shaped by the stories we believe, it deals with the mind. When we're shaped by our habits, it kind of deals with our heart. So for example, for me, um, the more I eat anything with sugar, the more I want anything with sugar. Um, I can't just have one of something. Uh, Self-control is an issue for me. Um, for me, it's like if I have ice cream two nights in a row, I need it 10 nights in a row. And that leads to 10 years in a row. <laughs> like there's an issue with it. The more we have something, the more we just want it. And what it does actually is it's shaping our heart posture. We start to love it. We start to think we can't do without it. So our habits really kind of shape our love. And that shapes really the world. Like, so what they're practicing, it's shaping what they're, what they're loving. And uh, we see this just in life. I mean, let's think about this. The more you give yourself to a person in a sexual way, one time, two times, 
then you want to do it three times, five times, ten, you just continually give yourself, and you go, how do I break this? My heart is actually longing for this now. And this is just certain things, the world is just, this is what forms them and shape them. We're going to look at the counter to this, don't worry. Uh, number three we see is our relationships. This forms us. Obviously our parents, we know this, our family, we think about things that have been done to us just out of our control, things maybe we've done to others. We think about the beliefs our family had, our friends had, what they'd share with what they spoke over us, and we let that define us. We live by those things, but these are things that form us and shape us. Obviously, lastly, is our environment. I think of just like South Florida, when we drive around, like what kind of culture, how does it shape us and form us? When I first moved here, and I came to Florida, and I'm like looking at all these taxi cabs with all these images, I'm like, okay, I'm in Florida. I don't know, it just was like a little bit different. Everything here shapes us and forms us. Just when we wake up and walk out the front door and meet someone. It just forms who we are. And, and so here's, here's what I want us to see. Listen, we, we know this, but weeds grow fast, really fast, and fruit grows really slow. You know, weeds, just my, my backyard, our old house was just like, you know, waist high in weeds. And it felt like overnight, like pull the weeds, and I'm like, okay, they're back because I didn't really get to the root. But they just grow so fast. And it, it just takes a while to cultivate and grow fruit. Uh, one author, his name is Richard Foster. He wrote a book on spiritual disciplines that is phenomenal. And I, we might have it in the back. You can grab that. But here's what he says. He says, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. I do think, I think superficiality. I do think we want it now. I think instant gratification. These are things that shape us and form us. And it grows fast in our hearts. And, and we got to be aware, like, okay, how do I counter this? So there's a counter to this. That's the world's, I think, way of forming us and shaping us. And here's the counter to this as followers of Jesus. So here's intentional spiritual formation. Listen to this. We'll throw it up here. In place of the stories we believe, we have teachings. Define that. In place of the habits, we have practice. In place of our relationships is community. And in place of environment is the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about this really, really quick. What I mean, I mean that. Um, in place of the stories believe is teaching. So uh, different sociologists have been asked this question, how do you change a culture? When, the, when a culture has something bad or negative or harmful to people, how do you change it? And literally the number one answer has come from people who, who study this. They say, change the narrative. Change the story. There's something they're believing about life. There's something they're believing about their circumstance. You want them to get out of it. You want it to change. Change the narrative around it. Here's what we have from Jesus. We have the teachings of Jesus. I love how Jesus told stories. I love how a lot of times Jesus wasn't like, and now go do this. It was a lot of times like about, it's just like, the kingdom of God is like a tree. Like, he would just kind of give an analogy. He would give a new story, a new narrative, a new way of how not to be anxious, of how to live for the kingdom, how to be generous, how not to just, you know, not just commit adultery, but lusting. He would change the narrative around like any topic. And so for what we have against different worldviews or narratives, we look to the teachings of Jesus. Not only that, but we, in place of habits, we have practices. Next week, we're going to talk more about this in specifics, just practicing the way of Jesus. What does that mean and look like? What does it mean to like practice spiritual disciplines? Not try, but practice these things. Have it be a part of our life. And so I kind of want to hold off because that's more next week. Uh, and then we see this in place of our relationships as community. See, relationships were like born with that. We, we've talked about this before. We're like born with certain family. Like they'll never leave your life. You're going to see them at Christmas and holidays. That weird. You're going to see them because that's just your family. But community is something too that God brings together where it's a little bit like quirky. I would never experience, I've never planned in life with this person or that person, but God just brings it together and shapes it and forms it and it's beautiful. And there's community happening this way. And then in shape of environment is the Holy Spirit. That's so much stronger than environment. Where you have the Holy Spirit who's speaking to you during worship, He's saying, press into the kingdom of God. Let go of this thing in your life. It's during your prayer or meditation or journaling or whatever, or just driving. The Holy Spirit is with us, constantly trying to say, look at this environment. I offer you something different. Look at what the world says about sex and life, what, but I offer you another alternative, a better alternative. The Holy Spirit's a, that, and he creates that environment for us. You see, we have to be taught, that, we have to learn it. Like, again, um, when you think of like your life being like a garden, that idea, uh, it just grow naturally. You have to be intentional and plant fruit and plant whatever for things. You have to like weed out the bugs and all this stuff that's corrupting it. It's like you have to be so intentional for there to be fruit in life. Uh, a guy named uh, Doug, Donald Kogan said this, I go through life as a transient on his way to eternity, made in the image of God, but with that image debased, needing to be taught how to meditate, to worship, to think. This is why we're doing this. It's like we need to be taught this other alternative, 
the teachings of Jesus, the ways of Jesus. We want to be taught these spiritual rhythms and disciplines. And so here's what I want to point out really quick, you guys. Let me just say this. Everyone can change. You can change and I can change. By the power of God's spirit, we can change. I was really challenged by this thought. There are some people in my life I have done this to where I think they can't change. Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we honestly do that? Uh, one psychologist, Aaron Beck, said this. The single belief most toxic to a relationship is the belief that the other person cannot change. For those of you who are married, you know what this is like. Once you kind of say they can't change, you've created something in your heart towards that. You've, you projected something on that. You made a caricature out of that person, and the Holy Spirit's saying, don't you know that this is like what I do? Like I change. I change, pe- I change things. I change, cer- I change hearts. I change lives. I, I really do believe we, I have to embrace, we have to embrace this. It's sad to me how sometimes we'll be like, oh, that person's just always grumpy. That's just the way they are. They can change. <laughs> do you know that? Like, and the, the, the Holy Spirit can produce life and joy. And we don't have to be like, oh, that's just the way they are. I don't know why I've said this about people in my heart and mind. I'm like, oh, that's just the way they are. And I'm like, wait, Jesus, you change us. Thank you for that. Isn't that good news? Doesn't have to say that. We don't have to be formed by the world. We can be formed by the Spirit. Now we're going to go to number two, formation by the Spirit. All right, let's talk about this. Formation by the Spirit. Formation by the Spirit. Passivity. The Holy Spirit changes us. The Holy Spirit awakens us. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to Jesus and who he is. The love of God has been poured out on our hearts. Romans 5, 5 talks about how just God's love was just poured out on us. He talks about this in Titus 3. We just read it. We'll read it again in a second. But this is something the Holy Spirit does. So underneath this topic of the Holy Spirit uh, or formation by the Spirit, here's what I want us to see. First of all, is the Holy Spirit transforms us. This is a simple truth. Let's talk through this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We'll throw the verse up here. Such a profound verse on this. It says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I love this. He goes, as you just behold Jesus, as, you, as we behold the glory, the Spirit transforms us. He, he makes us more into his image. He's, transform- he's making us completely new. Again, Titus 3, verse 4 through 6, says, When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is the gospel, by the way. If you're like, what's the gospel? What's the good news of Jesus? Uh, We were dead in our sins, disgusting, filthy people, but the love of God was just poured out. The Holy Spirit made us alive and new, and he changed our heart. Not not that we're trying to say change your external things in your life, but he changed our heart, and through this inward change, we want to have external and outward change, and this is something that God does. This is something we go, God, thank you. Honestly, we pray, God, open lives, open hearts, open people to the truth of who you are. We need, we need you to do this. I can't save anyone. I can't, Jesus, as the word is taught, we just pray that you would awaken hearts. As the gospel, the good news of Jesus is being communicated, we ask that people would just go, I believe that you would do that, God, that you surrender us. There's a, there's a sense of passivity to this. Um, here's what I want to just briefly focus on. That word transformed in 2 Corinthians 3.18, if you circle that, if you look at that in your Bible, and you, you, that word transformed, we get this word metamorpho which we get the word metamorphosis. Um, there's a book that we have in the back. It's called Spiritual Rhythms. Her name's Ruth Barton, and she writes about this idea of just metamorphosis and change and how we don't do that. But listen to what she says. Perhaps one of the most basic things we need to understand about spiritual transformation is that it's full of mystery. We can be open to it, but we can't accomplish it ourselves. So there's a side of this where this, the Lord does this. So let's, let's talk about this. Um, in her book, she gives a couple examples, but one is about the caterpillar, right? Because that word metamorpho, metamorphosis, it's this idea that here's this caterpillar, this bug, that enters into this cocoon state, and through this process comes out transformed into a whole like, new creature, almost unrecognizable from its previous form. And there's a new form. There's a new abilities. There's new activity. It was once in the ground, now it's in the air. <laughs> like, there, it's just things are different when metamorphosis happens. And I love that thought. Like, once it becomes a butterfly, it can't unbecome a butterfly. It's not like it's a, it's a butterfly. It metamorphs, it changed into something different. It has a whole new set of activities, a whole new, like, lifestyle. It once lived a certain way, now it lives a different way. Do we get that? That's the gospel. That we had once had a one form, but now we have another form. We once lived a certain way, but now we live a different way. 
Why? Because God just transformed us. I do wonder for like, what is it like for the butter, like the caterpillar that just like, I'm gonna take a long nap, wake up and be like, oh my gosh, I have wings. Like, what are wings? Right? It's like, I can fly? Like, you think about the mindset for that bug, that insect. It's like, what has happened to me? And in some ways, when we put our faith in Jesus, we're going, I don't know, why do I care about things I never cared about? Why do I love people? I feel like I need to pray for them and forgive them. What, like, God just places new desires and new wills and like, he does that. There's a passiveness to this where God transforms hearts. Amen? We pray for that. We, we ask God for that. We, we preach the word and God awakens and makes people new. And that's something we kind of rely on. And so we see that the Holy Spirit brings change. Here's what Ruth went on to say. And this is so good. Can we just Please don't miss this. She says later, I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. What I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and painting a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. We're going to look at this more. This is what this series is about. We want to now create spiritual rhythms and disciplines that can lead to change. And this is what we're going to be looking at in the weeks to come. So the Holy Spirit transforms us. Next, the Holy Spirit, listen, forms us into the image of Jesus. The Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of Jesus. What's the point of transformation? To be formed into the likeness of Jesus. Paul said it this way. He used the analogy of birth and giving birth in Galatians 4. (laughs) I love Paul, who's a male, says this. He goes, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. He's like, what I want to see is Christ formed in you. Not just these external changes. We're not saying take on spiritual disciplines, behavior modification, change your behavior. We're saying the hope is that the Christ would change us from this inside place, from inside out. Next, with this thought, and I I want us to hear this. In the Christian life, there are breakthrough moments and there are process moments. So here's what I mean. Paul, when he's on the road to Damascus, and he's on his horse, and Jesus appears to him and knocks him off the horse, and he goes blind. There was this breakthrough moment where Paul had a crazy amount of spiritual growth in a short amount of time, and that happens at times. Usually, here's what I've noticed. People who are suffering or experience death or, or loss or pain or whatever it might be, it seems like they have these breakthrough moments where just God shows them a lot and grows them a lot in a really short amount of time, and it's, it's, it's cool to watch. You go, wow, God's growing you a lot in this season, but that's not, most, that's not how change mostly happens. Change usually happens just through this process. Like character, deep character change is not usually like this breakthrough eureka mode. It's just more slow, mundane, in the day, in that, with that coworker who just frustrates you and gets you mad to your core. Like I feel like the Lord uses just our moment-to-moment life more to shape who we are and our character. There's breakthrough moments, and usually it's process moments in which the Lord works. And he's trying to make us more into the image of Christ. And here's the main thing too. The Holy Spirit is dealing with internal issues, not external issues. The Holy Spirit's saying, let me address the issues of the heart first. Not what you're doing outward. Let me just get to the bottom. What, what, is your, what are you serving? What is your God? Like, he deals with those internal things. So for example, Jesus in Matthew says, you Pharisees. He goes, the outside of your cup is really clean, but the inside is disgusting. I would never drink from that cup. <laughs> He's like, you Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs. What they would do back in that day was they'd take tombstones and make them really bright, like really white, clean, clean them. A Jew could not walk on a tomb, like on a grave. They'd be considered defiled and unclean. So they'd have these tombstones that were like really bright that would stand out that you couldn't miss at night. It's like, oh, there's a person buried there. I can't walk on that and be defiled. He goes, you're like that. You're like this tombstone that's really bright, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. And Jesus is speaking to them saying, I don't care about all this external stuff you're doing. Your heart is wicked. You don't really love God. What is the Holy Spirit trying to do in us? He's trying to say, I want to get to those heart issues. Who cares if outwardly you have all the spiritual disciplines, but inwardly your heart is disgusting? The Holy Spirit is trying to birth within us the form of Jesus, just Jesus being in our lives. I want to deal with those inward things. Because pseudo-transformation is so dangerous. Where you look at someone and go, wow, like, I've seen a lot of changes in your lifestyle and habits. And this is great. And do it many times that can be great. I don't want to, that's why we're doing this series. But we can't assume that means that their heart has been purified, that, that God's dealing with those heart issues and heart idols. There's going to be like, we, we don't want to take on this external thing and neglect. The whole point of all of this is saying, Jesus, we want to put on, in a sense, we want to have spiritual lifestyle rhythms, disciplines, so you can do that work deep inside of our heart. So you can get to the root of the issue. So you can change my mind, my heart, my will just my strength, how I, I want to love you. Like, that's what God's trying to ultimately deal with is, do you really love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you really love, do you really love me? Do you love the idea of appearing to be spiritual? 
Do you love the idea of people looking at you and be like, wow, you're so spiritual? Like, I know, thank you. Like, what do you, like, what is that? I really do believe the Lord's just trying to deal with those internal things. That is why we're doing this. And guys, all of us long for transformation. I think that's why you read any children's book, any story, any movie. It's like this character that we're like kind of liking and they're like kind of stumbling over. You know, they're kind of like awkward, but by the end, they're like strong and victorious. Like we love seeing transformation happen. And the Bible is saying, listen, by God's spirit, there will be transformation. Why do we love that? Because that's what God's trying to do. We have the desire for transformation because that's what God wants to do. It is a beautiful thing to watch. Now here's, I want to clarify something though. We're passive in this, but we also walk with the Holy Spirit in this. There's disciplines we should take on. So let me read to you a very long quote. You're like, I know, I'm used to this. Okay, here we go. Listen to this. Dallas Willard, the Yoda of uh, spiritual formation. He says, a contrast must be drawn about the idea of passive and active. Sometimes we think of spiritual formation as formation by the Holy Spirit. Once again, that's essential. We can't evade it. Formation by the Holy Spirit. But now I have to say something that might be challenging for you to think about. Spiritual formation is not all by the Holy Spirit. None, none, key, without the Holy Spirit. But there's always more involved. And here, again, we run into the problems of passivity over against activity. Here lies the deepest challenge to the very idea of obedience to Christ in our times. So we're going to lead to point number three. The point is, spiritual disciplines, again, they don't save us. They're not the end goal. But they're a means to an end. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace. Absolutely. But what does Titus 3.8 say? Because be careful to maintain. Let the grace of God that brings salvation, let it teach you to live godly. So we want to talk about this teaching. So number three, uh, we're going to see formation with the Holy Spirit. Formation with the Holy Spirit activity. Here's what Paul says, and I love Paul's words because he goes back and forth. Paul goes, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. He sounds like a crazy person. I love this verse. He's like, I am what I am by the grace of God, and I worked harder than all of you, but it's not me. It's the, it's the grace of God. Like, this is, this is it. It's like, this is the grace of God that produces effort. I love how Dallas Willard says this. He goes, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Let's, we're going to say that over and over again in the series. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Paul's like, I worked harder than you all, but it was the grace of God that was in me. It's ultimately the grace of God. But I still worked hard. It's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So I'm trying to work out what God's worked in. There's like this infinite amount of potential strength and energy the Holy God's given, and it's like, work it out. It's not you, but work it, work it out. Embrace these, take on these disciplines, take on their lifestyle, take on the rhythms, the practices, the ways of Jesus. It's now time for us to live it out in this way. One more way of putting it, David Mathis says this. He says, God is lavish in his grace. He is free to liberally dispense his goodness without even the least bit of, cooper- bit of cooperation and preparation on our part. And often he does. But he also has his regular channels. And we can routinely avail ourselves of these revealed paths of blessing or neglect them to our detriment. The key is that God has revealed certain channels through which we regularly pours out his favor and we're foolish not to take his word on them and build habits of spiritual life around them. So here's the idea. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man, was he? Um, Think of Zacchaeus. If you guys know, he's a wealthy religious leader. Sorry, that's like old school Christian days when I was like a kid. Um, Zacchaeus was like this wealthy Jew who, took, who really took advantage of, of poor Jews and his people. One day he sees Jesus along the road, and what does he do? He climbs up in a sycamore tree. To, anyways, uh, he gets to this tree, and Jesus is like, Zacchaeus, get down from there. I'm coming to your house. We're having dinner tonight. And God does this, they have this conversation, Jesus and Zacchaeus, that literally transforms his life, and he gives away his wealth, and it's just, his life was changed. But what did he do? He, he put himself in a position for the grace to be poured out. This is what David Mathis is talking about. It's blind Bartimaeus who's on the side of the road, and he's going, Jesus, help me! And everyone's like, be quiet! He's like, no, help me! He's like, who's calling me? And Jesus comes over and heal. Jesus healed him. Jesus did it. But he's, in a sense, put himself into this position to experience that. He- here is the idea. We're not saved by our works by any means. It's the grace of God. And I don't fully understand how the grace of God always works. I don't. It's a mystery, as we talked about. But the idea for us is praying and in the word and meditate. It's not that we're trying to work to get God's favor. It's not that. We're trying to say, Jesus, you've given us these lifestyle patterns, these rhythms, these disciplines. We want to apply them and live them out. We want to position ourselves in a way where we can experience intimacy, where we can experience change, where we can experience growth and health, where we can experience you. That God, we want to actually, again, 
there's been so much written about revival. Like, no one can force revival. I can't, no one can force that. But it does seem that God has always used prayer in his word to bring revival. So it's like, we can't be like, God, we, we can't force it. I can't do it. But it's like, but let's put ourselves in a position by giving ourselves to prayer, giving ourselves for God to pour out a spirit, to do something new, to do something fresh. Church, do you hear this? I'm not trying to say we need to do these good things for God to love us. God already loves us. We get that. We get that God already loves us. But let's try to now like, actively walk out our life with you. Walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's this idea now of like, I am what I am by the grace of God. I worked harder than you all, but it was the grace of God. Like we want it, we want to be, have that like balance in our lives. So now we want to live this out. We want to put ourselves in a position where God can pour out his grace. I don't always get this, but I know this. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. I don't understand how grace works. It's unearned, undeserved favor. Absolutely. But God gives it to the humble. So there seems to be a way of like putting yourself in a position of humility where God's like, I want to pour my grace. Zacchaeus, Bartimaeus, are you guys following me? This, this, is, this is so key for us. I don't want to become arrogant and lazy. One author said this, which I thought was so proud. He says, we have a problem today in evangelical circles. We're not only saved by grace, we're paralyzed by it. It's like, oh, and it's like, it just, okay, yes. Titus 2.11 though, but the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, but to live righteously, soberly, and godly. It teaches us something. It should produce something. It should produce something. I think you've gotten the point at, at this point. There, there's something I think that maybe has happened in the church where like, we're so, we kind of swung the pendulum. We're like so afraid of work. It's like, oh, it's workspace. It's scary. It's like, and we kind of got this place where like, I want to preach the gospel. I'm going to preach grace. I'm going to talk about it all the time. And that's what we're saved by. And thank you, Jesus, for grace. But grace should produce and teach us and do something to it. Here we go, I want to now take on the practices of Jesus. Last quote, and I, I promise, um, here's what one guy says. After World War II, the church came to accept the marginalization of discipleship to Jesus. We came to see it as something of an option that we might choose to exercise, should we wish. But if we would just like to believe the truth, receive the ministry of the word, and, and get on with our life without discipleship, that's okay too. And as a result, we have now come to the place where we can be a, a Christian forever without becoming a disciple. That is the danger. I'm a Christian. I'm a I believe in Jesus. I have all the right doctrine. But are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Salvation is completely free. Discipleship will cost you everything. And this is what we're trying to get to. Saying like, let's get into Let's talk through these and let's be discipled by the ways, again, of Jesus. So here's the practice that I want to give you guys for this week. My hope, hope, is that every week, not to give you necessarily a to-do list, not this checklist, I have to do this thing to be a good, nope. Some of these things we'll talk about more next week are like we literally just have practices that disengage us and that engage us. Things that we just kind of sit under, sit at the feet of Jesus. And sometimes we're trying to serve and understand and grow. So here's the, the practice for discipline I want to leave you with. Um, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to search you. To write down in your journal, hopefully, what he reveals. And just to pray for internal heart, internal change and heart change. So here's the idea. This week I'd love for you just to go, Holy Spirit, search me. What does he want to do in my life? What does he want to reveal to me? And whatever he reveals, just write it down. I'm not saying now, here's five things to fix that. Just saying, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, hey, this is, this is something in your life that's off. I want to reveal to you. And just pray and say, God, okay. Thank you for bringing it to my knowledge. I ask that you, would, that you, that you would change this. This is the first discipline. Just to be quiet a little bit. To journal a little bit. All right. I love how David welcomes the Holy Spirit to do this in Psalm 139. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Did you hear that? He goes, I have anxiety. I want to get to the root of the problem. David recognizes there's something off in his life and he goes, and God, get to the root of it. Guys, I really think I want us to hear this. It's, it, you might know, I'm not just saying pray. God, you might go, I prayed and God said I have anxiety. Okay, praise God, what is the root of that? What does that stem from? That's what I'm asking you to do. Help me understand that. That is my hope. Church, I'm going to leave you with a few questions to pray over, to ask yourself. As we're told to love God with our mind, our soul, our heart, our straight. Here's a few questions. You can take a picture of this. You can just hear this. You can just relax for a second and just hear some questions I want you to ask as you pray this week. Um, for the heart, what am I truly passionate about? Just spend some time with the Lord praying over that. What am I truly passionate about? Uh, what, what's the why of my life from your perspective, God? Why did you place me here? Uh, what do I pursue every day? What, what do I pursue that kind of reveals my heart? Uh, for the soul, 
I'm going to ask these questions. Am I repressing my emotions? <laughs> Some, somebody in here might be doing that. Um, am I repressing my emotions? Ask the Holy Spirit that. Am I a slave to my emotions? Am I always driven in by that? Are my emotions disordered in, in a wrong or, or like disproportionate? Am I becoming more emotionally attuned to the person of Jesus? Am I emotionally attuned to the person of Jesus? I would love for the church to ask that question more. When it comes to the mind, here's some questions to ask. Uh, what needs to be renewed in my mind? Do I judge people and assess people, or do I love them? Let that one sink in. <laughs> do I think the way God thinks? For those of you who need to love God more in your mind, just a few questions. And when it comes to strength, um, is there a resource in my life that I'm withholding from God? Am I, am I stewarding my energy and time toward loving God? Am I, am I giving him time? Am I giving the best of my energy, the best of my time, the best of my resources to loving God, or are you getting leftovers? See, all of us need to love God with our heart, soul, mind, strength. And you, I think the part of it's like, God, just search me in this. Where am, I, where am I lacking? Where are the root of these anxieties? My hope is, honestly, guys, listen, create some space for the Holy Spirit to work. And guess what? We're going to do that right now. Um, we're going to have communion. And I, okay, we're going to talk about this, but communion is one of the best ways I believe, for the Holy Spirit to use in our life to form us and shape us. Communion is a time for us to look at the cup, to look at the bread. Please don't be distracted right now. Say, Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you for your body that was broken for me. Thank you for your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of my sins. And listen, here's communion. Communion is a time for us to examine and say, God, search me, know me. In 1 Corinthians 11, they're told, don't drink this and don't eat this in an unworthy way examine. Say, God, examine me. Search me. I, I really want to enjoy you. I want to, what's the point of communion? God, what are you trying to accomplish through communion? Why do I need to remember the death of Jesus so often? What, what's, the, what's the value of remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus so often? Why, should we, why do we practice this? Why do we do this until the Lord comes, as Jesus said? Why do we do it this way? Why? I'm going to ask as we pass out communion that maybe this can be brand new to you. This is a time for you as a follower of Jesus to go, God, why is this something you've asked me to do in a rhythm, like consistently, in a pattern. Why is this something I don't just do one time in my life? Why is this not like baptism? Why is baptism like this one-time thing, but communion is this, con what is this, God? What do you want to show me through that? Like, ask questions. Just listen. So I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to pass out communion. If you are a believer in Jesus, take communion. If you not yet believe in Jesus, there's no need to take this. There's no need to remember something you don't believe in. But we'd ask for those of you who just say, I love you. I believe in his death and resurrection. As you take communion, just pray and say, God, search me and know me and reveal why we do this practice. What's the point of this? And what, is it, what are you trying to produce in me through the practice of communion? Amen? Can we do that? I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. And we're going to worship by remembering Jesus' death. Let's pray. God, I, I really ask that you would um, you take your word and you take what was shared here and thank God you'd produce fruit in our lives. That we wouldn't just try to change our behavior, but that your Holy Spirit would just do an inward change in our heart, God. That God, I know that my heart is prone to judgment before loving. <laughs> my mind is prone to, to thinking thoughts I want to think rather than thoughts you think. God, I just ask that in this time, you would speak and move. Show us, God, why it is you have us so often remember your, your son's death and burial and ultimately his resurrection. God, let it refresh us. Let it bring joy to our lives. Let this, this time of communing with you to be something that produces a lot of just growth and love for each other and love for you. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you now in your wonderful name. Amen. Guys, feel free to come forward and pass out communion. When you get it, just take your time to eat and drink. Pray over it, and we'll come back up here and close in prayer.